After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, the trade deadline is all over. It's in the book, so why not break it down with one of our favorites from The Athletic? You can also hear him on The Athletic Podcast feed, the one and only Sam Amick. How you doing, Sam? Good morning, guys. I'm doing good. I mean, it's it's post-trade deadline day. Um, not as exciting as we thought, but there's always like this, you know, on the other side of the mountain type feeling. So I'm good. I'm hanging in. How are you guys? You know, it's funny. He says not as exciting as, as we thought. And I don't know if it's just because we're like NBA nerds. And I'm sure, I'm sure in some ways you feel this too. Like I, I that, there's still a lot of movement around the NBA, even though they were tweaks, even though we didn't have all the fireworks, but I felt like a lot of the fireworks came early on in the season. And then yesterday though, a lot of a lot of benefits to those yeah, tweets. Yeah, those were like Piccolo Pete's. If you're oh. fireworks early, Piccolo Pete's okay. yesterday, maybe. Or sparklers. Piccolo Pete's are good, you know, little, <laughs> you know, the, the snappers for the kids if you want to go <laughs> yeah, yeah. more, you know. No, I agree. I mean, it's funny because um, I, I always say, like, I tell people that, okay, you look to, like, fans. They look to us to tell them what's happening. Right. Um, and then I shouldn't admit this from my own like job security, but like people have to realize, you know, we end up really understanding, you know, maybe 5% of what's happening behind the scenes, which is to say that for me covering it, trade deadline day does become a bit of like, okay, we think we have a beat on this situation, that situation, but you know, there's a bunch that might just come out of nowhere and shock you. You know, this is not a trade deadline day example, but like when Damian Lillard got traded to Milwaukee, there was like maybe a tiny bit of chatter about that, but by and large, people were stunned. And so even though we cover this stuff all the time, 
you know that that could happen. So on trade deadline day, you're thinking maybe that'll happen. Um, it just didn't this time around. And it did, you know, I use the word anticlimactic in my column, uh, even admittedly as a bit of a smart ass had cited like the dictionary.com definition of it and, and asked a bunch of fan bases if it landed and resonated because, you know, the five were, and we'll get into it, but like, you know, your, your Kings were on there with Bulls, Hawks, Warriors, Lakers. And these are just like, regardless of, what trades you think they should have done that, that that gap between the expectation of the fan base and the type of activity they might be ready for. And then what ultimately actually happens, you know, creates that kind of an- anticlimactic uh, finish. And that was really kind of the, what happened yesterday. Yeah. <clears throat> As I clear my throat, I don't know why. Yeah. I'm so- <laughs> um, it's a topic for you. I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I felt like the Kings needed to do something. I wasn't expecting some big type of swing. I feel like those moves have already been made, right? Siakam OG got moved. What do you think the Kings' approach to the deadline was? And why do you think they were maybe comfortable standing pat? I This is not what the Deuce and Mopod wants to hear. Oh, I want to hear the truth. Tell us. No, and I'm still trying to learn about yeah. the truth. All I'm, like, I, I don't totally get it. If um, there was a pivot, it seems, I don't know the timeline, but, you know, teams that had talked to them had come out, you know, all through the process with the takeaway that, as you guys know, it was Fox, Sabonis, Murray, don't even bring them up. Everybody else up for grabs. You know, the human component within that is like, all right, so now Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes, Davion Mitchell, they go to bed every night thinking, you know, I might be moved. And, and, you know, obviously the rest of the guys as well. But then at the end, and I'm talking trade deadline day, you know, and, and when the phones were still hopping, the way it was put to me was like, no, it's based on the market and based on what they saw available. It had literally become like a, we're not going to touch the top seven approach. I mean, it's a big number, right? Like a really big number. And so that speaks to, what you know sort of possibilities they saw out there and and my one of my least favorite parts of the job is that you're you know we are we analyze we criticize we praise and you know you try to do the best you can without all of the information and that's just being honest about it like if you want to look at Royce O'Neal in Brooklyn who I think probably tops the list of players that Kings fans and basketball fans say would have helped the Kings I don't like I can't tell you with total clarity what it might have taken for them to get him, why they weren't able to pull that off. You look at the way he went to Phoenix. It was a pretty complicated three team deal where if you're trying to look for reasons to be understanding of the Kings, you look at that and you say, you know, sometimes there's a whole thing happening over here that you're just not in on and it's hard to get in on it like that was a complicated deal with a fair amount of assets going in multiple directions that led to Royce O'Neal being on the Suns. The Suns have, a, I think, probably a different level of desperation to, to add help. If you, if you were assessing the Suns and the Kings to get a guy like Royce O'Neal uh, just on balance, I think Phoenix is going to win that competition because Kevin Durant is the age he is, Bradley Beal is the age and health you know, history that he is. They have no depth um, their defense has been mediocre. So a lot of the same themes of the Kings, except for the age part, and, and Phoenix got it done. So um, 
I don't blame Kings fans at all for just being disappointed that there were no moves. Uh, I just would love to learn more about what was really you know doable. I want to go back to something you said. You said something about the top seven approach. I'm not going to touch that. What do you mean by that? Uh, just that like when trade deadline day came and, and the calls were coming in, that it was like there was literally – it seemed as if there was nobody available to them that they – deemed worthy of losing anybody in their top seven mm-hmm. um you know so malik obviously being first guy off the bench are we going trey from there like who's seven on this team right guys- i mean that's that i'd say trey at this point yeah um so that you know with the starting five was like like if if royce o'neill cost you a top seven player well you know we like what we have enough that we don't want to lose that that also makes me wonder um I had I had had somebody tell me recently that um, that one of the high profile guys uh, I don't want to put his business out there but like that that you know like this front office is smart you got to talk to your players that they had gone to one of the Kings top guys and, and I probably went to both of them and said what do you think about this guy and so they're they're having those conversations right um, and the part and I don't mind sharing this part the part where I was confused is that it was Kyle Kuzma and this is like you know maybe a month ago. Um, and so there was like an internal debate about how would Kuzma fit in? Um, well, that became something that they didn't want to do. Um, but it also knowing that that is the type of dialogue they have, it made me wonder yesterday, like, okay, like I'm assuming the whole top seven thing is is probably at least partially born out of the core guys saying, I believe in Kevin. I believe in Harrison. I believe in, you know, Trey, I believe in Malik. I mean, Malik's got his own lane because of his relationship with the Aaron and and whatnot. Um, so, you know, it's but it is admittedly just objectively hard to reconcile that with what I'm personally seeing on the court. Like it's, you know, they 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 just got smacked by the Pistons. Um, they, it's crazy. I keep saying this. You guys know, like, you know, the history of the organization is such that like. If I was a Kings fan, I would just be choosing to just have fun because they're winning games. You know what I mean? Like they might be in the playoffs. That hadn't happened in 16 years. But that's, as you guys know better than anybody, that's not the mood right now. The mood is how does our team get out of the first round? How do we get better? Um, and if that's the calculus and the debate, you know, we don't have evidence right now that they they look real capable of doing that. You know, I, I think the other thing that I heard from some people yesterday is that Uh, everything around the league seemed extra expensive. You know, like even if it was, I I know the Hawks said DeJounte Murray was off the table and everything, but from leading up to that, it was seemed like it was going to take multiple first round picks. And then even when teams might've been talking about Alex Caruso with the Chicago Bulls, it would seem like it was going to take first round picks and just too much. And so I kept hearing everything is too expensive. And, you know, you talk about the Kings in those top seven guys and maybe feeling like they believe in them. Do you feel like that was just the pulse of yesterday? Like going, there's so many sellers that were like dangling things in front of people being like, "Uh uh-uh, you have to give up your firstborn. hundred percent. I actually, I really do. That's a good point, Morgan. Um, and it's funny because it, even like the, if you look at the format of the story I did, which I'd never done something like that before, but there was this, it was kind of <clears throat> easy to package these five teams that people thought were going to make moves and they didn't. Now the distinction and the nuance within that packaging, again, you know, Kings, Bulls, Hawks, Lakers, Warriors, is that if I'm actually 
being critical of the teams that didn't make moves. It's bulls and hawks, and then it's everybody else. Um, like so, to your point, <clears throat> I don't understand why the bulls um, looked at it and said, like there literally was a report that they were having conversations about Caruso where they indicated that they might want more than two first round picks. Like, what are we doing here? So, you know, you don't, you have Kobe white, who's a wonderful part of your future, Patrick Williams on last year of his deal, Lonzo ball on the shelf for a long time. Um, Alex Caruso is on a wonderful contract, but there's an 18 month window. You know, he's not part of your future most likely. And you had a great opportunity to get something for him. He chose not to. DeMar DeRozan is going to be a free agent this summer. Now, he might actually resign. That could happen. He likes it there. But they're going to really have to pay him. And so that, I mean, again, like I'm talking, like DeMar is, he's kind of like, I don't care about my age to pay me for what I'm producing. Um, And, you know, especially, man, LeBron's making everybody money right now. Because if you're 34, you could be like, hey, this dude out here doing it Mm -hmm. at um, so to your point about the price tags, it was bulls and hawks set in the market. The Raptors ended up doing stuff, right? Like not on deadline day, but they did break up their core. Um, and, and their prices were, I think more reasonable, you know, the Pacers give up three firsts for Siakam, but they also have what appears to be some, you know, a handshake deal that he'll return. So that's a long-term investment. Um, yeah, the bulls and hawks just, Asking for the moon uh, was a factor. And I, I will say, I guess, in a little fairness to the Hawks, uh, I'm focusing more on Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter, Bogdan Bogdanovich than I am Murray. I actually, I understand why, like, if you look at Murray and the Lakers deal and you say a 2029 first, maybe a first-round pick swap, Jalen hood um, and then D'Angelo Russell, coming back when you and it's hard for them to to think this way but when you gave up uh three first and a first round swap to get murray in the first place those two offers are just worlds apart so i i have some understanding for why atlanta held steady they've got multiple years on Dejounte's contract they have time there but the rest of it they had pieces that could have yielded them something but like a lot of these teams appear to be a little delusional about what's worth holding on to it just irritates me from the outside looking in with some of these teams because I, I don't know. I get the impression that nowadays it seems like some front offices want to win the deal instead of making a deal. Like they just want to be like, no, no, no. They want to be able to at the end of it be like, hey, look, go to their owner and show, look, everyone's talking about us. We won the the trade today, as opposed to just like, no, let's just make a deal to improve our situation or our outlook going forward. I agree. It's it's funny because um, in Vegas for the in-season tournament, um, I ran into Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers GM. And he's just a guy who's done it for a long time, did it in Portland and in Indiana, uh, is, is pretty respected as an executive, learned under Larry Bird in Indiana. Um, and then, you know, for the Sacramento crowd's purposes, you know, was obviously a key figure in the Sabonis-Halliburton trade. And talk to him about that trade a bit. And he, he had like such a, a, a mature uh, perspective on that trade being a win-win for both sides. And that's kind of what you're talking about is like, that did not strike me as a guy who's running around saying, 
you know, to, to, uh, to his owner, um, you know, Hey, I won the deal. He's, he's just, he's been doing this long enough that it's okay to have win-win deals. And that is, you know, people who work that way, I think typically can get business done uh, more effectively, more consistently. Um, I don't know who comes to mind as like the, the poster child for that sentiment in this trade deadline. I mean, you've got people like, you know, I think it might not necessarily just be about, you know, that many people trying to win it. It's maybe a little like Landry Fields comes to mind, the Hawks GM. You know, you were the assistant GM under Travis Schleich before. Travis had a, a bad falling out with Atlanta. You get the job. Uh, you know, <clears throat> they they added um, Chris Grant to the Hawks front, uh, front office, uh, an experienced executive some time ago. And there's another voice in the room. I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but a young guy like Landry who had a good playing career and is now a young executive is he's going to have to pay attention to what his owner wants, thinks. And there's just a little, maybe a little muddled with direction and voice and, and choices in that type of an environment. Um, the bulls thing to keep, you know, focusing on those two teams that chose not to do much and they kind of controlled the market in large part, you know, Arturas Karnisivis, um, first time GM from Denver, but more importantly, and I, I just said this on a different pod, um, like Jerry Reinsdorf is 87 years old, the Bulls owner. And, you know, it seems real obvious, and I'm admittedly stealing this perspective from the, the legendary Michael Wilbon on ESPN yesterday. And, and Mike, with his Chicago roots, talked about how Reinsdorf, you know, you're 87, you don't have time or energy to rebuild. You just want to watch your team have some fun, you know, and, and the building is still full. Yeah. And you're making money and you got six trophies in your case. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to lose DeMar DeRozan. He's fun to watch. Um, I don't want to lose Alex Caruso. That guy gets after it on both ends of the floor. So there's all these factors that come in uh, on a day like that. It's crazy to just put it that way. Hey, the boss wants to see this, so it's happening. This is what, hey, yeah, yeah. he's Sorry. entertained. I mean, he's, the, inter he's entertained right now and he's old. We're going to keep this going. Um, I want to go back you to the it, I mean, real, yeah. sorry, real to tie yeah. a bow on it. Like Indiana had that, um, for a long, long time. And I honestly cannot believe that I'm blanking on the Pacers owner's uh, name. Herb Simon. Is that Herb Simon? I kept wanting to say Herb Cole. That's the old bucks. owner. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. But Herb Simon's not a young man. And the, the, the Pacers had been towing the line in the middle for a long time with the, the same sort of chatter. That, that in that market where folks just like basketball, they don't necessarily need to be in the conference finals or the finals. Sure, it was fun when Reggie Miller did it and Paul George was pushing the, the Miami Heat and everything. But you do for sure. I mean, you guys know this. Look at look at the Kings franchise and the way that the Maloofs and then Vivek Ranadive have impacted roster decisions at different times. Um, it's absolutely a factor. I want to go back to the Kuzma thing that you're talking about with Sacramento because it, it seemed like at one point a couple of years ago, Monty McNair almost executed a trade with Buddy Heald going to the Lakers. Kuzma would have come to Sacramento. That deal ends up falling apart at the last minute because Westbrook ends up coming to L.A. Instead, that deal just gets blown up. So they've been tied to Kuzma. Even during free agency, there was talk like, oh, the Kings have interest in Kyle Kuzma. He elects to go back to Washington. And now we get past the trade deadline, it sounds like, oh, the Kings didn't have in, any interest in Kuzma. I, I, I'm wondering, like, what changed? Was it the cost that, what was it, the price tag? Was it 
They really oh, they watched him. him play in Washington the last year and a half and maybe feel differently now. What, what do you think changed? So uh, I, the ones watching on YouTube can see that I'm typing. I'm cheating and pulling up Kuz's uh, basketball reference profile here to yeah. partially answer the question. Um, I do think, I mean, the first comment I'll make is that um, agree or disagree this front office is prioritizing shooting above all else and surround Sabonis and Fox with shooters. Uh, now those guys have not been hitting the shots like they did last year, this year with, with Herter and Barnes and whatnot. Um, but that remains a, a major priority and Kuz. Now this part hasn't really changed. So to your point, I think, I think maybe strategy has changed more than Kuz has changed, uh, but he's shooting at a 33.1% clip from distance this year at high volume, you know, 6.8, three points, uh, three pointers attempted per game. And, you know, 33 is not efficient. 33 is, you know, is buddy healed on a bad year. Um, and I think that's it. Um, they, they didn't see that as worthy of, uh, the contract, um, and just didn't, didn't want the guy anymore. It's, it's confusing. Cause like, it does appear to like it shifted pretty significantly. Um, like at the end, they were almost kind of really tired of hearing them be attached mm -hmm. to that situation and, and wondering why that continued to get reported. Um, but yeah, I think the shooting element is the big thing that, you know, that, that if, if you're looking at job description of players, the Kings are thinking of adding right now that maybe even above, not maybe, I mean, their defense needs help, but they appear to be focused more on shooting than the, the defensive side of the ball. So they didn't see value in Kyle Kuzma, but they saw value in cash considerations yesterday. <laughs> and um, that was that. that was the move that we saw for the Sacramento Kings. And, you know, I think the biggest thing, maybe even for fans, Sam, if you can explain why, why would the Kings be willing to even help out the Bucks in that situation? I, I, I haven't looked at all the, I mean... I haven't broken that one down. It's I, you know, I'm assuming it's just the the Bucks create a list of teams, you know, with uh, a roster spot where they can get rid of a guy and do something that the Bucks aren't able to do uh, on their own, and they're willing, you know, for tax purposes on the Bucks side. You know, I don't remember Robin's number, but like, it's it, if they hold on to him, it's going to cost them X amount over and above his contract because of the significant tax ramifications and then the kings are doing them a solid by taking him but the cash considerations which i don't think that any nobody really reported how much cash it was did they no i haven't seen it yeah i mean that and that i if i was a front office guy uh or person i would um i would petition the league like are there certain trades that we can just not announce like <laughs> like yes. Yes. Like, please. I said the same thing to Morgan. Like, this is one where you're just like, why? Like, come on. Like, let's just let, if Robin Lopez wants to tell his friends and family, like what happened, that's fine. You know, <laughs> but cause it just does create this. It's not only like, not only did you do nothing, but you, you had your hat out and you were begging. You At know, 1158, for... that deal comes out too. <laughs> you know, it's like right before the, but oh, the Kings made it. Trade Robin Lopez or wait, what? <laughs> uh, and one other note, as we're recording this, yeah. the Kings did convert Keon Ellis's deal from a two-way contract to a standard contract. I don't know. Did some of that money help pay for that too? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, 
you know, yeah. we'll talk again about yeah. it. I'll try to, I mean, in the cash, sometimes I wish I had a good example that comes to mind, but every once in a while, I'm, you know, I remember hearing about different moves that like you'd hear how much cash it was. And sometimes as fans of media, we're all, all we care about is what happens on the court, but like, this is real life too. Right. So if the bucks were like, we'll give you $7 million to take Robin Lopez. Well, this is a business. Why would they say no to that? And if it, yeah, Sam that, but I also, I always, you know, you always say how, you know, 5% of this and that going on and everything. And I always on, especially on NBA trade deadline day, I'm asking dudes the whole time I go, well, what's their relationship with some of these organizations, some of these people behind the scenes. And I mean, something like this, you got to imagine too, if you help each other out and all those things, you, you build that relationship with an organization like the bucks for future, maybe future situations. You do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it makes me think of the old days, um, Jeff Petrie, when he was running the Kings, like if you studied his transaction history, he did a lot of business with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, and that was, I, man, I think, is that Billy King uh, was the GM at the time? You know, but you had relationships where, and Jeff in particular, I was a, always struck me as like a, a very discerning, untrusting executive, like where in his mind, he woke up in the morning thinking that 70% of the league is kind of snake oil salesman trying to get over on me in a trade. But these other guys, like we talked about earlier, um, maybe I'll gravitate towards them to do business. And so he would do a lot of business with Atlanta. Um, those relationships do matter. I mean, it's why yesterday it shocked. This, this is a little bit in the same category, but shocked everybody when the Bucks got Pat Beverly from Philly. Cause that's got all kinds of layers to it. Like, wait a minute. So Daryl Morey, the head of the Sixers front office fired doc rivers last year that <laughs> created acrimony that doc actually spoke about on national television and took shots at Daryl doc is now the coach in Milwaukee. Um, but they're going to give him a pretty decent defender because their defense is terrible. Like, you know, help me understand the human dynamics there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that part I always love covering about the league, but it, it does maybe sometimes grease the wheels. You know, the Bucks will remember that the Kings, you know, helped them out a little bit, and, uh, and so that vibe could be a little bit different. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So if the Kings were just trying to go for role guys yesterday, you reported some names. You mentioned DeLon Wright, who the Kings you know, had a couple of years back. You mentioned Caleb Martin as a name, Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith. I guess going back to Morgan's point, that the cost there was just too much. It was, hey, we want one of your top seven and picks. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, again, I wish I had more for you guys on that yeah. front. That's that's it. It's, it's the top seven, as far as kind of like breaking down why this stuff didn't happen, I'm assuming, you know, the each of those opportunities infringed on their other priorities that they deemed, you know, more worthy than that. Um, it does feel like there is maybe and this is kind of a informed speculation, but maybe kind of a, a two track thing happening here. Um, greater belief in what they currently have than we anticipated based on what they accomplished last year. Um, in, in the way they feel about right here and now, you know, even with things like the Pistons loss uh, I'm curious to talk to Mike Brown because, you know, like a coach, every coach in the league post trade deadline, especially when you have talent on your team, which he is lucky enough to have some good talent. Like I think a coach probably gets real excited this time of year because you get to have the noise totally gone about the trade deadline and players wondering if their families are going to get moved and, and that part always gets overlooked, right? Like, yeah. you know, people are like, oh, they make so much money. They still try to go to bed at night. They still only got, you know, 16 hours in the day to get their work done. And if they think that their kids are going to be in school, you know, one day in, in a different school the next, that matters. And does that affect literally, you know, the way you're you're fighting through a screen or the way you're, you're going up for a jumper? Uh, only those players know. So post-trade deadline, that stuff is more settling. Um, like Damian Lillard comes to mind. This is super random, admittedly, but like Dame gave a really good interview recently to to my buddy Vinny Goodwill from Yahoo Sports talking about how he's going through a divorce and how like his mind is just not clear and how people say that the court is a sanctuary where you leave your problems at the door and that he wasn't feeling that this season, that he was actually in his head on the court because of real life. That's an extreme example because he chose to share what's going on in his life. But like the trade deadline has that kind of effect on a lot of players. So now the Kings have who they have. Um, they have this pretty incredible fan base behind them that is, you know, going to be out there. They're, they're going to games. They're, you know, the energy could very, very easily swing in a very positive direction here if they put a run together. Um, and as you guys remember, that's what they did last year. You know, I, I remember going into the All-Star break, uh, last year for Salt Lake City and and our guy Anthony Slater who you know well like we had this funny running dialogue where like we would debate the Kings privately what we thought and he was always like Mr. Rose Colored Glasses and I even when they were like winning five six in a row I was like no nah, stop it like the floor is going to fall out because that's what I'm trained to believe based on my history and he's looking at it a little more clear eyed because he's not you know He's not been, you know, watching what I've been watching so closely all these years. So all of which is to say, like, this team could still do it. Um, I don't know what direction you guys want to go from here, but I do think defensively, man, it's just it's I don't know what it is. Like they just cannot get stops. 
you know, um, yeah. Sabonis in particular, r- real quick, like Sabonis having such a great year. I, I'm out of here on Twitter saying the dude should have been a, an all-star and getting killed for it by Laker Nation, um, and I believe it. But, like, that, the defensive stuff with Sabonis, is it, it's just tricky because rim defense is a problem. Obviously, it starts on the wings. You know, uh, even Fox, who made great strides defensively, has not been quite the head of the snake that, that we thought he was going to become. Um, that just remains a major problem. Yeah, I, I think with the Sabonis thing, like, there's just limitations here. I mean, he for as strong as he is, he's not the longest, right? Like, he's not going to be blocking shots left and right. You're You're banking on his verticality, the pick and roll coverage, like, a lot of times, man, I, I I don't I don't put the blame on the defense with Sabonis. Well, he has shortcomings, but it to me it's about the guards defending and De'Aaron, as he's made a lot of strides and when he's locked in, it looks great. But Luke Laux was just saying the other day they had to challenge him after the Miami game, like, "Hey, lock we need in. we would lock in, we need something." And he responded with a ton of deflections over the next couple of games and eleven steals in two games. But it's consistency there. And I think they get torched on the perimeter. I think Herter gets exposed at times. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I mean, the pressure and the resistance along the perimeter, Sam. And I feel like on top of all of that, now we're looking at a league that, you know, just keeps evolving with the way that it shoots the hell out of the basketball. And if you have guys making one mistake, coming under screen, not understanding the personnel, or someone has the hot hand and it's Alec freaking Burks out there along the three-point line, you know, are you closing him out the right way? Are you running him off the line when he has that hot hand? I feel like all these little things, they they keep happening with this Kings team that where there's not any elite individual defenders. So you have to do everything perfect as a team yeah. to help one another out to really see that defense complete. And that's why I guess I just don't completely put that blame on Sabonis like so many people around the league want to do. Yeah, because I think he his effort is always there. Like, if there's one thing you know with Sabonis, like, he's going to play hard. He's going to play his ass off. It doesn't matter. Like, even against the Pistons, you're not looking at Sabonis going, hey, he didn't oh. bring it tonight, you know? No, I mean, he, he, his competitiveness – his next level. This is a, a, a massive reach, admittedly, but uh, I was watching the Kobe Bryant statue unveiling yesterday, and he had, after it, I don't know if you guys saw it, NBA TV had a cool um, documentary on his 81-point game, and he was doing this in his hotel room interview with uh, the legendary Andy Thompson, who people don't realize how awesome this dude is at his job. This is Clay Thompson's uncle, Michael Thompson's brother, who is the uh, the goat of video documentary folks, uh, he he shot the Last Dance, and he was in Kobe's hotel room, right, interviewing him about the eighty-one point game, and Kobe's talking about um, that night against Toronto and L.A. and how they actually, I think, when he got up to fifty or sixty, they were still trailing in the game, and that he's like, we just can't lose to this Raptors team, and the competitiveness was on a huge level. All of which is to say, I, I actually made me think of Sabonis in the Detroit game where you don't question, like he actually is an incredibly competitive guy and, and he was trying to will his team to win that game. It just didn't work. And, you know, I agree that he's, I'm not pointing the finger at him on many nights, uh, but defense is, is such a nuanced, mysterious thing. It really is. Like Milwaukee last night gets smoked. I forget who they played, but they gave up like 128 or something. And uh, 
and Damian Lillard didn't play. And, and I had a thought there, like, oh, I can't blame Dame tonight. You know, like, yeah. like out there, Brooke Lopez is out there. Now, Middleton didn't play either. But, you know, that, that whole five guys on a string stuff is real. Um, I don't know what the Kings have to do to fix it. But unfortunately for them, like, this season is going to be sunk if they don't figure that end of the floor out. That, that's okay. So do you th- – <clears throat> after NBA trade deadline, you, you see – the Lakers didn't really do anything. I know the buyout market's coming up, all those things. The the Warriors are wherever. Do you still see this Kings team in the Western Conference as a top six team? I think they could be. I mean, I don't – top six is, is the perfect framing for it, Morgan, because, I mean, if I – again, if, if we're going Vegas here, betting man style, like I'm probably going to say no um, because of the strength of five and six. And I'm now cheating to look at the standings. I mean, you've got the Mavs, first of all, in the eighth spot, who just got Kyrie Irving back and might get Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, They are a threat. The Pelicans uh, are playing good ball, won four in a row. They're in the sixth spot. The Suns, I think, are going to continue rising, pun intended. And the Kings are going to be fighting to be in that group. so it'll be hard. Could they do it? Sure. You know, again, betting man, I'm going to say no. Uh, and I think the truth is about what they should do. I don't know. Like I hear we are focusing on the defense. I mean, is the answer just recapturing an even greater level of offense like they did last season and taking the ball out of the basket, you know, for the opposing defense more consistently and having your defense be set? Uh, because you're, you're you're performing at a higher level offensively, that might be it. Honestly, like they have not had, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but they're they're nowhere near uh, the offensive ranking they had last year when they led the league, had a historic mark. They have been top half of the league this year, but but not uh, elite by any means. So may that that could be it. You know, get to your your better looks more consistently, hit your shots. Um, defense is always easier when, when the opponent is, uh, is having to take that ball out of the basket. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is in some ways there have been better defensive moments from this group this year, but the offense isn't where it was last year. And then le- around the league, everybody's offense is better. Like the Kings had the number one offensive rating in history. I always thought that was overblown because uh, the Mavs had the number one offensive rating in NBA history the year before that. It's just where things are headed in this league. And now you've got multiple teams in the league who have surpassed what Sacramento did last year offensively. Indiana, Milwaukee. It's crazy to think about that. Um, I just think the defense, I don't know. It's just going to be up and down because I don't think they have the appropriate personnel. They are banking on a second-year player in Keegan Murray to check some of the best players in the league. That's a lot to ask from him, right? To, mm-hmm. hey, yeah. go deal uh, with Donovan Mitchell. Go deal with uh, Kawhi, Steph. It's a lot, and I think it's impacted Keegan offensively a bit too so it, it, I think it's going to be a challenge I, in some ways I think you're right it's the offense needs to be better down the stretch and they could get that mojo back a little bit because even though their record is around the same as it was at this point last year it definitely feels different so they are 14th in offense right now and their their mark from last year that was the best of all time this is just wild. I'm sure you guys know this. They 118.6 yeah. points per one of possessions was the mark last year. If that was this year, let's see. What's three, four, five, six, seven, eight? Love this. Uh, 
how, what did I say the mark was? One eighteen six. Yeah. Uh, they would I think I'm counting this right. I believe they'd be ninth. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, the league's offense is that's a separate conversation. It's at a totally different level right now. They're not a good defensive but they don't team. Have, and the offense has dipped. To build off what you said, Deuce, they don't have like they just have this good formula, but it's it's this somewhat imperfect, flawed formula. Because I love watching Keegan defend. Yeah. But then if you know Harrison is so inconsistent, even when he does get opportunities. So if Harrison is just not hitting his shots that night. Like it's a, it's a little challenging to tell Keegan, hey, tonight, why don't we just lock in on defense, let the offense take what they give you, but lock in on defense. And then it's like second quarter, hey, HB's like 0 for 6. Can we go ahead and pivot here? Like, can you, Keegan, can you start scoring a little more? Like yeah. the the roller coaster element is is hard. And then within that too, and I don't have these numbers in front of me, but Fox is just not lighting it up from long range like he was early on. It's dipped and, big time. Yeah, and and that part matters as you you know you're trying to get your offense to a to a better level. Last thing I, I think just to sum up this Kings trade deadline and just kind of where they're going, I think they're banking on, in my opinion, where they're comfortable with. I think they tried to make a move, obviously, like you reported, that if they make the playoffs this year, that pick that they owe Atlanta, mm-hmm. top fourteen pr- protected, conveys, then it allows them. The flexibility to trade the 25, 26, 27, 20, it gives them more options next summer to take a big swing. If there is a big star, maybe they go, you know what? We'll go ahead and throw three first and some pick swaps in a player and see if we can get in the running for, I don't know, some star player that somehow becomes available. But now you're going, you better make the playoffs because yep. if that pick does not convey this year, then you're still kind of in this world where you can't move picks as easily as others. Yeah, no, that's a major priority. And that, I mean, I understand the scrutiny about their trade deadline, but that alone for me, if you're Joe Blow Kings fan or, or, or you know, is like, I, I'm pretty confident saying that, like, if there was somebody out there that was going to help them get in the playoffs this year, they would have gone ahead and, and done it. And, and it's hard to speak on what the market looked like and who was available, but the incentive was there. Um, now I have heard some sentiment that, Hey, listen, you know, if we got to go to plan B and unfortunately don't, and the, you know, don't get the wrong idea. They want to make the playoffs badly, but that this is not considered a good draft, but there's confidence that, you know, they do their job scouting wise. They can find a good guy, you know, late in the draft, but that's not ideal. You don't want to be doing that. It's a little bit analogous to the Lakers and uh, they choose to stand pat at this deadline as well. Uh, for you know, and, and might have similar opportunities ahead of them this summer. Uh, as a result, they they can trade three first this summer, and they're basically trying to tell LeBron, like, hey, be patient, even though you're you're old as dirt. Um, yeah, but you know, we can get a star this summer with three first, and that's kind of their strategy. Yeah, and, well. and that, but that matters. The Kings, the Kings have. I will say, man. I, I, I get for Kings fans that right now maybe it's frustrating, um, but just look at Atlanta to learn as a cautionary tale what it looks like when you jump too early, when you make the move too quick. The DeJounte Murray trade two years ago was a bad mistake. And they now, I mean, really, if I asked you right now, 
what is Trey Young's legacy going to be in Atlanta uh, in terms of the track that it is currently on? A lot of fun highlights, but if I like, does anybody expect him to contend in Atlanta? Because really, they jumped too early, and Dejounte wasn't the guy, and now they're mm-hmm. almost being stubborn, not wanting to give him up because they're not getting enough back. You know, now your timelines are off. Now your building roster-wise is off. Um, you know, <laughs> there's the, the Kings still have a lot of powder available to them, uh, and, and then right now they just gotta make what they can of this season. Patience is important at times. It's so hard, though. I know. Especially in this era. Sam, we appreciate the time, as always, man. And uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. The one and only Sam Amick. Deuce and mo, Deuce and mo, Deuce and mo. They tell you what they know. Deuce and mo, Deuce and mo, Deuce and mo. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.